Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Pastor Mike, for introducing me into this time, as well as our walk worship team. Love our team, bringing us into spirit-filled worship and praise every single week. And I love our preaching team that's been bringing the word the past three weeks. Pastor Ryan, Mike, George, just different leaders in our church teaching us throughout this book of Ruth. And I'm excited to continue it here today. We're going to be back in Ruth chapter 4. If you're a first-time guest, again, we just want to say welcome from my wife, Nina, and I together. We're so glad you're joining us. And my name's Hayden. I'm the senior pastor here at Walk, and we're going to dive into this book here today. It's officially the ninth sermon in the book of Ruth, in the series on the book of Ruth, and we're going to get right to it. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ruth, and if you're hungry, Come on, say, let's eat right now. This, if you're hungry, type it in the chat. Say, let's eat. If you're watching this with some people, what's up, everybody? I'm glad to be on your screen here today. Let's eat from the word of God here today. If you're ready, say ready. Come on, let's do it. Father, we pray right now as we jump into your word. God, we're hungry for your word. We're ready for your word. We're excited about your word. God, we need a fresh eye. We need a fresh ear. We need fresh hearts to hear and understand and receive your word today. God, wake us up to your word today. Speak to us and feed us through this word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen, amen, amen. Well, I wanna do a few things before we get to the, the text in Ruth 4 today. I wanna just give us some synopsis, but I wanna preach a synopsis in a way that helps you learn the story of Ruth. Again, just catching up, especially if you're a first time guest and you're just now checking this out. I want, I want you to get caught up to speed because we're gonna land in chapter four, but I just wanna give you some points to remember chapter one, two, three, and four. And I'm gonna do that today by using words that start with the letter P, all right? We're gonna, we're gonna do some alliteration starting with the letter P. When I think of chapter one, Ruth chapter one, the word that comes to mind is the word pain. Ruth chapter one is a chapter that is just filled with pain. What do I mean by that? Well, chapter one opens up with a famine. How many of you know when there's no food around, it equals pain, all right? There's no food, it equals pain. And then this couple... Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they make this decision to move out of Bethlehem where God placed them, and they decided to move, and it's always painful to move. Anybody hate moving? Just the thought of moving and getting the truck and the boxes and, you know, taking stuff out and, uh, and unpacking stuff and then repacking stuff, it just is painful. But they decided to move to Moab, which was a pagan country. It was discouraged by the Lord throughout the Old Testament, and that's what they decided to do, and it, it, it sparked pain in their life. Not only did that spark pain, but very quickly into Ruth chapter one, we find three funerals happening, right? Elimelech passes away, Naomi's husband. They had two grown sons who had both taken Moabite wives, and uh, they were, their, their name was Chilion and Malon, and, and these two sons pass away. We don't know the reason why, but it sparks pain. And, and I want to communicate to you through these different boxes that we have here on the stage. This first one is, is pain. And I just want to talk to you a little bit today about this word pain, because pain is something that all of us have stepped into at some point in our lives. I don't know about you, but, 
but I've stepped into pain in my life. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now. And it's 2020. I don't know when you may actually end up watching this. Hopefully you're watching it this weekend, but maybe you may send it to somebody. They may watch it later down the road. And they are familiar to some degree with pain. This, this word pain is a very real word and it, it finds its way in the scripture, right? And I just wanna give you this defining statement as we think about chapter one, because it may speak to you in this season of your life. Here it is right here. It's gonna be on the bottom of your screen. It's simply this. Don't allow your pain to lead you away from God and his people. Allow your pain to lead you, come on, say it with me, to God and his people. When I think about chapter one, I think, okay, there's a famine that, that's dangerous and that's painful. I get it. But don't allow that famine to lead you away from God and away from the church and away from the people of God. Allow the pain to drive you closer to God, right? What happens here is Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, they leave where God had them. And the result is more pain on top of pain. We see pain in the apostle Paul's life in the New Testament, right? We see him step into this perspective of pain, don't we, right? He, in the book of Corinthians, he tells us that he was, he was nearly stoned to death. He got hit with the, the, the cat of nine tails, claws, that, the, the whips that, that ripped skin out of his body, that he had a shipwreck, right? And that he spent a night in the day in the sea. Who does that, right? On top of that, he was a church planter and had a lot of anxiety because of the different churches he was planting. He experienced pain. And in one instance, he, he felt like he had a thorn in his flesh, we don't know quite what that thorn was, but we knew it was bothering the Apostle Paul. And here's what he prays in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, Lord, take this thorn from me. And here's what God says back. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Pain leads to power. Here's what I mean by that. When you take your pain to Christ, you end up experiencing his power. Here's why. Because you experience his presence. You experience his voice. Here's what I believe about this box of pain. That when you take your pain to Jesus, you invite Jesus into your pain. I'm glad that this box is big enough for the presence of Christ to join me in it. I remember reading this quote from C.S. Lewis and it spoke to me. It says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Our pain has a purpose, doesn't it? Our pain has a very real purpose and, and that pain's purpose is to lead us closer to Jesus. You may say, man, I haven't experienced this much pain. Well, hopefully it's coupled with, man, I haven't experienced this much prayer right? It's something about pain that leads us closer to the Lord. And what we see that's unfortunate about chapter one is that though pain struck in Naomi's life and even Ruth's life, right? The, the, these two sons of Naomi and Elimelech, right? Chilion and Malon, they took these two Moabite wives. One was named Orpah, the other was named Ruth. And now we find three widows, right? As all three men in their lives passed away, we make it to the end of chapter one, we find Naomi, this mother-in-law who's from Bethlehem, looks at her daughter-in-laws and just says, hey, look guys, it's been real 
It's been fun, but it has not been real fun. It's been really painful here. I'm going back home. I've heard that my God is there. I got to get back to him. I got to return back to my relationship with the Lord. I got to get it right. You guys go back to your false pagan gods, lowercase g. I'm going back, but I love what happens here. This beautiful scene, Orpah gives her a kiss, weeps and leaves, goes back home. But Ruth says, I'm going with you, Naomi, even though you're in pain, even though I'm in pain. I love how Ruth says, I'm gonna make your God my God. She converts, she believes in the God of the scriptures. Says your God will be my God, your people will be my people, I'm going with you. And they settle, they settle on that, they, they go back, they make this journey and when they ar- arrive, we see Naomi still filled with pain. How do you know? Because you can see it in her language. Here's what Naomi says. The women of the town run to meet her. They say, can this be Naomi? Listen to her response in Ruth 1, 20 and 21. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Remember, Naomi means pleasant. But now she does not feel pleasant. She says, call me Mara. The word Mara means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? It's so interesting that in times of pain, we start to accuse God. We start to say, God, you've testified against me. God, you've made me bitter. You've dealt bitterly with me. Even here, she says, you've brought me back empty. But notice that that's not actually a true statement because God had actually brought Naomi back with somebody who loved her, with somebody who was gonna be a game changer in her life, with somebody who actually has faith and vision and, 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 and optimistic dreams and goals to do something with her life. She's there too. And Naomi in her pain isn't able to see it. But at least they're back where God has them. We open up chapter two and we find this second P word right here. I wanna give you the second P word. It's the word potential. It's the word potential. I love this word potential. I think the very fact that Naomi and Ruth decided by faith to go back to Bethlehem opens up the box of potential. The fact that Naomi said, look, I'm bitter, I'm in pain, but I can't stay here. I gotta go back to the Lord opens up a load of potential. Let me give you the definition for the word potential according to the Oxford Pocket Dictionary. The word potential defined is showing the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. Potential is showing capacity to become something bigger and better. Potential is showing capacity to develop into something in the future. Here's what Naomi and Ruth do. They say, I want to go ahead and walk in my potential. In fact, I don't want to just walk in my potential. I want to maximize my God-given potential. So I got to go out on faith. They open up this box of potential. Here's what happens in Ruth chapter two, verse two, at the beginning of the chapter. The text says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter, walk in your potential. 
I love that. Ruth says this. She goes, hey, look, if I just go out, I got potential. If I stay right here and don't do anything, I don't have potential. I don't know that anything can happen if I just stay in my comfortable place and never risk anything, never shoot my shot, as we say, never take a a step of faith. But she goes, if I go out and glean amongst the field, I'm going to find favor. We call that optimistic faith, expectant faith, active faith, faith that has legs to it. That's walking in him, trusting that Jesus is going to meet you when you walk in faith. This is where Ruth is at. She's in her potential. Pain, when you take it to Jesus, pain leads to potential. Here, let me just go ahead and run through this list really quick. Maybe you'll identify with something in it. When you go back to Bethlehem, you step into potential. When you go out to glean, here's what it means to glean. What it means to glean is this, like just to try to imagine maybe a farmer has an apple tree, right? And he's picking the apples and he's putting them in the basket. He's picking the apples and putting them in the basket. And while he's picking them, maybe one apple falls off the tree suddenly and it lands on the ground. According to the Hebrew law, the Jewish law, he wasn't able to pick that apple back up. He was actually required to leave that apple on the ground for poor people who would one day come and pick up those scraps. That was called gleaning. Gleaning was the act of coming and picking up the different scraps that fell from the tree because God set it in his law that he, he, he set out a command to look out for poor people, which was simply this, let the gleanings fall for the poor people to come and pick them up. I want them to have something, right? Ruth says, hey, look, if I could just go out and grab some of those, that's potential, right? So Ruth says going out to glean is stepping into potential. Believing God for favor is stepping into potential. Boaz in chapter two takes notice of Ruth and says, she got potential. Boaz looks at Ruth and says, who's, who's that, right? Who, who's the brown-skinned woman here that looks different kind of from our group. I want to know her name. I want to know her story. She's got potential. But Boaz, by initiating who she is, shows you Boaz has potential, right? Boaz opens his box and steps into it. Now, Boaz in chapter two invites Ruth to join him and his team at his table, and it shows potential, Next, you find Boaz saying, I want you to hang with the reapers and I want you to hang with us for the whole entire harvest. Speaks to potential. Let me just go ahead and encourage you. When you get to the place when you're ready to step out on faith, you open up your potential. When you get to the place when you say, look, I'm gonna go back to church consistently, you open up your potential. When you say, every morning I wake up, I'm gonna start with prayer oh man, you opened up potential. When you say every night I go to sleep, I'm gonna talk to God in prayer before I go to sleep. Oh, that opens up potential. When you look at sin in your life and you say, no more, you have no more place in my life. I gotta leave you back in Moab. I gotta go to God in Bethlehem. You open up potential. Let me go ahead and remind you of the definition for potential. Don't miss it, right? Potential is you show the capacity to become something more. Potential is a development into something better in the future. I love how in chapter two, you start to see the potential of Ruth. You start to see the potential of Naomi. You start to see the potential of Boaz. You see the potential of a relationship. You really do see it. Let me remind you that you have potential, my friend. 
that we have potential, that I have potential, right? Don't just be one foot in one. I mean, actually go into the box and recognize your potential. It kind of reminds me of, of this duck parable. I don't know if you've ever heard the duck parable, but I'll go ahead and share it with you. The duck parable goes like this. There was once a, a, a bunch of ducks that lived in a town full of ducks. And these ducks every Sunday would leave their duckling house and they would waddle their way to their duck church. While they were at the duck church, their duck pastor would come out and preach a word out of the duck Bible and the duck choir would lead them in songs of singing. And when the pastor came out, he opened up his duck Bible and he turned to this passage, which read this. Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings, you can fly. With wings, you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like birds. And at that moment, all the ducks cheered and they said, amen. And then they grabbed their duck Bibles and they waddled back home. They missed it. They have the potential to fly. They have the potential to do great things, bigger things, better things. But if you don't act upon the faith that God's given you, if you never take a step, if you never take a risk, if you never move with optimistic faith that says, I don't know quite how it's gonna look on the other side, but I do trust the God who's gonna meet me there. He's gonna walk with me there. There's potential for, for, for big things to happen. There's potential for better things to happen. You'll miss it. You'll be the duckling who waddles back home. And God is calling us to not be that type of person. He's calling us to walk in and maximize our potential. I love how Henry Ford, the creator of Ford Automobiles once said it. He just said, there is no man living who isn't capable of doing more than he thinks he can do, right? That you're capable, my friend, of doing more than you think you can do. And you would say, how how do you know that? Because your God is able to do more than you think you can do. Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21 tells us that. Now to him who is able to do far more. Come on, say it with me. Far more. Say it louder. Far more. Come on, one more time. Far more. Abundantly and beyond all that we can ask and think he's able to do more. Pandemic or not, God has the potential. You have the potential if you put your faith in him. That moves us into chapter three. There's, there's still more to come. See, I, I believe that pain leads to potential and potential leads to this third box that I'm calling process. Process. Pain leads to potential, but potential leads to process. Throughout chapter two and throughout chapter three, we see this process begin to develop. Let me give you a working definition for the word Process. Process means this, a series of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. There's a moment in the story where Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, the three main characters, step into the box of process. At some point they say, okay, I got to work my process. I'm working through my pain. I'm recognizing my potential. Now I got to work my process. I'm so glad, hear me, hear hear me, look look at me, church. I'm so glad that the book of Ruth doesn't stop at chapter two. 
because you can't always live in your potential. Your potential is there to lead you to God's process, right? I've met people along the journey, too many of them that stop at their potential. At one point in their life, man, yeah, I got a lot of potential. I'm gonna do great things. And then 10 years later, there's, man, I know I got potential. I know I can do it. Here's what they're missing. They're missing the process. Don't, don't get stuck in Ruth chapter two. Don't get stuck in Ruth one where you just live all of your life in pain and you never are able to break through the pain and get to Jesus and, and, and discover your redemptive potential. Don't just stay stuck in chapter one. Go back to Bethlehem. There's still chapter two. There's potential for you but don't just stay in your potential, get into the process. I love how Ruth says, okay, look, Boaz invited me to come back. Boaz in fact told me that I could actually come back for the whole entire harvest season, but she still has to come back. I mean, Ruth could have went back home to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and said, it was amazing. This dude, Boaz, showed me love. He even gave me food for me and you, and he invited me back. But what if she said, but it was so tiring, and you know what? Like, it's hard, and gleaning, and reaping, and you know, I don't know if I'm going to go back. She would have missed the process. But what I love about this story is it says that Ruth showed back up the next day. Ruth showed back up the next day. She worked the process, right? She she, she went for it. I once heard this quote, Um, a a person said, after an entire lifetime, I became an overnight success. (laughs) Do you get it? An overnight success is a dichotomy. It's a facade. It's not a real thing, right? Anything that's of value, anything that's worth doing is worth overdoing. It's worth putting the time in. It's worth putting the grind in. It's worth putting the effort in. That's how you move from potential to the process. We see that here in Ruth's life. In chapter three, we find Ruth in this strange moment as she goes to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, hey, look, the harvest, the harvest is actually ended. And, you know, I'm still without a ring. I'm husbandless, Ruth says. And Naomi says, we don't have anybody to carry on the name of my son, Malon. And and, and here's what, maybe the process isn't done yet. Maybe there's still more in our journey. Maybe God has more for us to engage in. And I love how Naomi, in kind of a risky way, encourages Ruth to go shoot her shot, as Pastor Mike said, right? Here's what Naomi says. Hey, look, I know that, that Boaz didn't make a move on you like that. He, did, he, he may have been a little flirtatious, but he did say something about how the Lord is spreading his wings and And he is using language that may mean he's interested in you. You may not ever see him again. Ruth, go ahead and let him know you're interested. In fact, go let him know that you're interested in marriage. Just go shoot your shot. And I love how Ruth that same night goes and finds Boaz while he's sleeping. And she goes, hey, this is part of the process. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how he's going to respond. The worst he can tell me is go home. And that's why I'm already home. I got to go work my process. I got potential. Let me go see what happens. She goes to find Boaz. And in chapter three, the process may look a little weird sometimes. She uncovers his feet and says, here I am. She says, spread your your wings over me. 
as a redeemer. In other words, marry me, Boaz, provide for me, bring me into your house, bring me into your life. And I love what Boaz does. He goes, Boaz says, look, 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 Ruth, I'm down, but not without the process. Boaz says, if we're going to do this, we got to do it the right way. We got to do it the God way. Just like Pastor Ryan said, right? We got we to be generous with this thing and we got to do it, as George said last week, the right way, God's way. The process can even get confusing at times, right? Boaz says, in fact, here's what I found out, Ruth. I want to marry you, but there's another redeemer who's in line before me and I can't jump the gun and, and move past him without giving him the opportunity. I got to trust the process, right? In Ruth chapter three, we see, we see Ruth engage in this process, leads us right into chapter four when they're, when they're working their process. And last week in Ruth chapter four, we, we found it, right? We, we saw it last week when, when Boaz, he, he engages in conversation with this redeemer and says, hey, you know, if you're open to this, then you got to redeem the land. And he actually says, all right, I'm down. I'll redeem it. And at that point, if you're reading the story and you love it, you're like, no, this is not how it's supposed to end. It's not supposed to end with Ruth and this random no-named redeemer riding off into the sunset. She's supposed to be with Boaz. And I think the narrator of this book in Ruth writes it in such a way to keep us on our heels but not just to keep us on our heels, but to relate to us. Sometimes things just don't turn out the way we thought they would. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 2020, can I get an amen from somebody on the chat? Can I get one of those like little emojis with like the mind blown? Like this year, this month, right? This whole season of life has been one of those moments where it's like, what do you mean there's another redeemer? I thought that, wait, hold on, wait, where, why, where are they coming from? What's this now coming? This now coming, uh, this update, right? We can relate to Ruth chapter four. But what happens is when Boaz tells this so-and-so redeemer, he says, hey, look, but if you inherit the land, you also have to redeem this woman named Ruth, the Moabite woman who came, who's related to Naomi. And will you do that? And this man did not have the resolve to do that. And so he said, you know what? You go ahead and take it. And now we see Boaz step back into the process, step back into the potential. He's moving past the pain. And now we see it happen. Boaz gathers, a, he gathers these town elders together. He gathers a, a committee together because he, he wants to do the process. And it's these people that say, we, we agree, we, we observe, we, we testify, we are a witness to this marriage proposal, to this redemption moment. Boaz takes off the sandal. It's kind of a strange exchange, but it's the process. And finally, what I'd like to share with you today is, is when, you can, when you can get into your pain, it's, very, it's a very real thing. Pain is real, but pain is not forever. Pain is, is there to lead you to God 
which then leads you to see your potential. You step into your potential and you see things differently. This thing could turn out differently. You move from your potential and you step into your process and your process, you now see, hold up, there's light at the end of this tunnel. Hold up, this could result differently than what I first imagined. And when you work the process and you trust the God of the process, you get into this fourth and final box. And I'm gonna go ahead and call it this, praise. Ruth chapter four takes us into some very real praise, right? What, what do we see here? Well, we see, we see a praise moment for Ruth. We see a praise moment for Boaz. We see a praise moment for the witnesses. And that's where George left off last, last week. I wanna go ahead and pick it up where he left off in Ruth chapter four, verse 11. Here we go. The text teaches us in verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young women. First off, we see the elders praise, right? We see these different elders who are there. They showed up to be a witness and they start praising God and they start praising Boaz and they start praising Ruth and they start praising this process. And here's the language spoken over them. I just want you to hear this. They not only praise, but they pray a prophetic prayer over them. They say, may the Lord, can I just go ahead and highlight that? They say, we want to see God do something. May it be the Lord who makes the woman who is coming into your house, that's Ruth, make her like Rachel. Rachel was the beloved wife of Jacob in the book of Genesis. And Leah, the mother of Judah, who together built up the house of Israel. This is an astounding prophetic proclamation over Ruth and Boaz. Here's why. Because Rachel and Leah are these pillar mother figures who built up the house of Israel, not a Moabite woman. Come on. At what point do the elders think, yo, God's about to build up the house of Israel through the Moabite woman, Ruth. I love how they say, look, praise God. We see an act of redemption here. That's what it means to redeem. Right? We see Boaz, this legit godly leader, businessman, man of stature, choose this Moabite foreigner woman to be his wife. And we see this beautiful proclamation over the people that say, man, I pray that God makes you like Rachel and Leah. What do they mean by that? Well, Rachel and Leah were blessed by God to have multiple babies, right? And not only that, but Rachel and Leah for a season of life were barren. In other words, they weren't able to have kids. But yet there's a moment in the book of Genesis where they prayed and where they sought the Lord and they sought the Lord with optimistic faith. And God opened up the womb of Rachel and God opened up the womb of Leah. Through this whole tribe, you find 12 kids come from them. And here's the people saying, man, we hope Ruth ends up like that. Praise process, potential, pain. One thing that I've really, I really find interesting about that is there's another problem in the story, right? I wonder if Ruth 
when the elders prophesied that over her, if Ruth said to Boaz, you know, I was never able to have kids before. I mean, Ruth was likely married to Malon for a good 10 years. We don't know exactly how long they were married, but back in Moab, they were married. And we don't know if it was Ruth's problem or if it was uh, an issue that had to do with her uh, immune system or body or whatever that may be, or if it had to do with Malon as to why they weren't able to get pregnant. But, but here we're faced with another issue. And let's keep on reading. The text tells us in verse 13 that, that Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her. I like how the NIV translation, it says, and he made love to her <laughs> and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. But that first part is so lovely, isn't it? It's powerful. The first part says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Can I just show you the transformation throughout these four chapters? Just four chapters. You see, when you're first introduced to Ruth, she's Ruth the Moabite. And then Ruth chapter two, verse 10, she's Ruth the foreigner. And then in Ruth chapter two, verse 13, she's Ruth the servant. In Ruth chapter four, verse 13, she's Ruth the wife. God did that. Pain, potential, process, praise. That our God is in each one of these boxes and he's a full circle God says that so, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her. They, they had marriage, covenantal, sexual relationships and the result next is amazing. It says, and the Lord. Come on, highlight that for me. And the Lord. If you got your Bibles out right now, just, just, just see it right there in verse 13. It says, and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. The thing that's remarkable about the book of Ruth is that there's only two times in this entire book that it says God by name, the Lord by name did something, right? In chapter one, verse six, it says, the Lord had brought bread back to Bethlehem. The text says the Lord had visited his people and given them food. The Lord did that. He visited his people. He gave them food. He, he, he blessed them. And then the only other time is right here in this text, Ruth 4.13, it says, the Lord gave her conception. Can I just go ahead and tell you this right now? God is in control. God is in control. Come on, say it with me and clap with me. God is in control. God is in control. You may not understand, if you're still living in chapter one, it feels bleak. It seems dark. It's painful. If you're still living in chapter two, there's potential, but there's still the risk. If you're in process, you can get tired. When is it going to happen? Eventually you can make it to chapter four where there's praise, where there's, and then the Lord did it. If you can trust the, the God of the process, if you can stay in the game. Stay in the game, friend. That the, the mercies of God are new every morning. We find here that God works in these mysterious ways. He, he's in control. Let's praise him for it. Even the things that are unknown, we praise him for what's going on because it's going to turn out for his good. It's going to turn out for our good. It's going to turn out for his glory. 
We've found that to be true throughout the scriptures. In the book of Proverbs, it says this all over the place, right? Proverbs 16.1 says, we make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. Sometimes our plans aren't right. Or sometimes the timing of our plans aren't right. Later on in Proverbs 16.9, it says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That God establishes actually what in fact will happen. And sometimes you may say, you know what? I don't even understand how I got here. Well, it tells us in Proverbs 20, verse 24, it says that a man's steps are from the Lord. So how can anyone understand his own way? Friend, you may not understand how you got into this thing. You may not understand how you stumbled onto this online service right now. Let me just remind you and encourage you that God has a plan for your life. And God's plan for your life is a good plan. It might involve pain. It, it will involve pain. It will involve potential. It will involve a process. But friend, oh, praise God. It will involve praise. That the sun will eventually come out. And I just want to speak that prophetically over you right now, over our church right now, over our nation right now, over our world right now. We believe in a sovereign God who's bigger than any virus, who's bigger than any pandemic, and he will get his glory. He is worthy and due of all praise. And we can find hope in the book of Ruth that God is a full circle God. It's a full circle God. As we close right now, I just want to go ahead and read what the women share when it comes to praise over this couple. Ruth chapter four, verse 14 says it like this. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you. I love that right there. The first time we met the women of the town, they said, can this be Naomi? Hmm. Now we see blessed be the Lord. The Lord has not left you. Can I just speak that over you right now? The Lord has not left you. In fact, Hebrews tells us in a promise, Hebrews 13, 5, So keep your life free from the love of money because money will leave you, amen? Money will get wings and be out quick. Be content with what you have for he has said, I will never, ooh, I will never, come on, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christ has never left you. God has never left you and he never will leave you. Never will he forsake sake you. In fact, Jesus Christ, the son of God was forsaken on the cross for a moment because God was saving you and all of your sin was imputed to Jesus on the tree, on the cross. And it was in that moment that Jesus said, why have you forsaken me, father? And it was in that moment that God was drawing you and your sinful self to himself because he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you because we have a savior who died for our forsakenness, who's died for our sin, who's died for our penalty, who took our place. That's our God. So today you can trust him and go to him. These women of the town say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you. What a contrast from this box. This box, chapter one said, God is bitter toward me. God has testified against me in Ruth chapter one, verse 20 and 21. God has left me. Now we see the woman of the town speaking to Naomi. 
speaking to this family and saying, he never left you. In pain, you may have thought he did, but he never left you. Praise God that he's, he's the God who stays and not leaves. Verse 14 says it like this. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. The NIV says, may his name be famous in all redeemer. That God has not left you, Naomi, without a redeemer. Now, let me ask you this as we close. All right, I'm getting ready to close right now. We'll pick it up in our final sermon on Ruth next week. Let me ask you this. Lean in with me really quick. Pop quiz. The ladies here tell Naomi, they say, the Lord has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in all Israel. Who's the redeemer? Who are they referring to when they say, the Lord has not left you without a redeemer? If you were to ask me on first glance, I would have said, well, it's Boaz. Boaz is clearly the redeemer in this case. That's what's happening here. But, but if that were to be your answer, you would hear a eh. The women today in this text are not prophesying about Boaz at the, as the redeemer. Friend, we must keep reading. Verse 15 says, he shall be a restorer of life. Who shall be a restorer of life? A nourisher of your old age. Who shall be a nourisher of your old age? For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. The redeemer is not Boaz. The redeemer is the baby. The redeemer in the text, it wasn't even Boaz all along. It was about this baby that God had in vision. It was this baby that God had in store. It was this baby that God had a plan for. Even in Boaz's old age, even in Naomi's old age, even in Ruth's pain, process, potential, and praise, God said, I got a redeemer in store for you and Israel and Haydn and our church in Las Vegas, and it's gonna come through this baby. How about it? This is the full circle God. We find him on display heavy in Ruth chapter four. Hear me when I say this, church. Ruth chapter one opens up with a funeral times three. Ruth chapter four closes with a wedding and a new baby. Our God is a full circle God. Let us be people that that hang on to him, that, that hold, if this is him, hold on to him. Don't run from him, run to him. Don't pivot from him, pivot to him. Don't drift from him, drift to him. He's the full circle God. Next week, we're gonna finish our study in the book of Ruth and we're gonna spend some time on this baby. We're gonna learn about this baby who's given the name Obed, short for Obadiah. It means a, a servant of the Lord, a worshiper of the Lord. We're gonna lean into this new character we find, the baby Obed, and we're gonna talk more about him as we close. But I hope you've been encouraged today through this message. I wanna invite you now to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus Christ's name and we pray by the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the ghost. We need the Holy Spirit. We need you, Spirit of God, Spirit of the living God. Jesus, right now, if there's somebody 
who needs to be saved. I pray that today they would trust you and get saved. Here's how you can get saved. Call upon the name of the Lord right now. Just call upon him. His name's Jesus, Yeshua. Say, Jesus, save me. And immediately he will, the same way he did Peter when he stepped out of the boat and began to sink. Jesus, save me. Immediately he grabbed his hand. Come on, right now, you can just pray that prayer. Jesus, save me. Save me from my sins. Save me from my past. Save me from my wrongdoing. Save me from my turning and falling short and missing your mark, God. Save me. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you shed your blood for me on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave three days later. I believe you ascended into heaven. I believe you're coming back again. Save me, Jesus. And he will. And he will. Or maybe you need to return to the Lord today. You, you have a relationship with Jesus, but it hasn't been really good lately. And you're ready to make it right. I want to encourage you to do that now. Just say, Jesus, I'm ready to come home. Just like Naomi and Ruth went back to Bethlehem, return back to him now in prayer. Say, Father, give me the supernatural ability to lean in and stay close to you. Save me, Lord. Strengthen me, Lord. Encourage me, Lord. Keep me close. Keep me clean. Keep me near. We love you. We love you, Lord. And God, I pray for those who are experiencing pain right now. And they're in chapter one still. They feel like they're in the, the chapter one of pain. And God, I pray for people that are, are just recognizing their potential right now. God, I pray that they'd make it through chapter two. God, I pray for those people who are in chapter three right now. They're in the process. God, I pray for those who are praising you right now. They, they just are in the moment of victory. God, I pray for those who are, those couple, those married couples right now that are just praying for a baby. God, I pray that you would open up the wombs. <laughs> as you did for Ruth. And God, for those who aren't able to right now, God, I pray that they would trust you even with their pain. God, I pray for the couples that are not yet married, that they would do things the right way, that they would trust you as Boaz did and work the process of doing things the godly way. If couples need to move out, I pray they'd move out. If couples need to go buy a ring, I pray they'd buy a ring. If couples need to seek counsel, I pray they'd seek counsel. God, I pray you'd bless the families and marriages in our church for your glory. I pray all these things now together. In Jesus' name, amen.